Hi everyone, Brandon here with a quick word before the podcast. Glass Tire is a nonprofit publication that exists thanks to the support of readers and listeners like you. We know times are tough right now, but if you're able, we could really use your help. By visiting glasstire.com donate, you can make a one-time gift or become a monthly sustaining donor to our publication. All of the money we get goes right back into our coverage of Texas and its artists. One more time, that's glasstire.com forward slash donate. Thanks for listening, and here's today's podcast. Hello, and welcome to this week's Art Dirt Podcast. This is a podcast where we at Glass Tire talk about topical art topics. I am Brandon Zeck. I am Christina Reese. And we're talking this week, this is going to be a a two-parter this week. It's not going to be too long, but it's going to be two different topics. So the first topic we're going to tackle is there has been some uh, vandalism in three different museums in Germany. Um, It's kind of a, in terms of museum vandalism, it's not theft. It's not like knocking stuff over. It's kind of a weird route for vandalism to take, and it may or may not be related to QAnon, uh, as reported by a few German outlets. And then also, we are going to talk about the recently announced closure of of two spaces, of Marion Goodman Gallery's London space, which, of course, she still has some spaces in Paris, and she still has her space in New York. Uh, But she's kind of at least, Christina, correct me if I'm wrong, but she's the first, like, blue chip closure that we've seen. Maybe save for uh, Gavin Brown, who merged, but that was, you know, that was billed as a merger, not a closure, which we actually did a podcast about. So we're going to talk about the closure of that, but also about the closure of art in general, which is a longtime nonprofit in New York City. They were about to celebrate their 40th anniversary, or they just did. They kind of made their name and cut their teeth on commissioning new projects and giving artists money to really kind of realize whatever they could. And they they dealt with so many artists and they worked with so many artists, people who were so well known now. Remember, this nonprofit was 40 years old. So people like Joan Jonas, Glenn Ligon, Byron Kim, uh, Marina Abrahimovic, William Popel, Piplati Rist, Francis Alize, the, the list goes on and on. So the, the closure of a space like this is kind of a landmark. They had um, some problems as COVID kind of got started, but it seems like this was just too much. But that in a second. And right now we're going to talk about vandalism in three German museums. Christina, do you want to kind of give us the skinny of what this is about? Yeah. Uh, so um, these are three Berlin museums that were targeted. Um, they're all uh, close together in the city. It was the Pergamon Museum, the Alt, uh, Alton National Gallery, which is the old National Gallery, and the Noise Museum. I don't know if I am Noise, Noise, Noise Museum. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but about 70 works were vandalized by an oily substance. So on a crowded day, October 3rd, 
some and they don't have cameras on this or they're saying that they don't have cameras on this which i find shocking considering it's germany and there's a lot of surveillance cameras everywhere all over that country but on october 3rd which was the day of the 30th anniversary of german reunification and a holiday and it was a crowded day at the museums somebody some people came in and they they basically poured an oily substance on about 70 objects at three different museums the reason I think that, and they're still trying to put this together, they're investigating, they're trying to figure it out, but I think that the main theory is that it's supporters of QAnon, our favorite contemporary conspiracy theory, which is a big one. Um, just to recap that one really quickly, it alleges that a cobble of Satan-worshipping pedophiles is running a global child sex trafficking ring and plotting against Donald Trump. So it's spread. It's it started in the U.S. Certainly, it's been picked up in European countries. There's a guy in Germany named Attila Hildman, who is a former vegan celebrity chef, who has been basically stirring up his followers to uh, target these museums and target the Chancellor of Germany, etc. He says that um, there was an altar for human sacrifices in one of these museums. Etc. Not surprisingly, in Germany, uh, QAnon takes a particularly anti-Semitic tone. It does here too, but in Germany, it's more pronounced. But they they're trying to figure out what the substance is. It, it, they targeted just all antiquities, primarily um, old Egyptian works, uh, statues, and sarcophagi, etc. Well, Christina, it seems like there were so many objects that were targeted, but I found it really interesting that a lot of these news reports that are coming out of Germany are saying that some of the kind of main treasures of these museums and some of the main antiquities treasures didn't come under fire for it. Like the, um, there's a bust of Nefertiti in one of these museums. That's perhaps one of the best known artworks to come out of ancient Egypt. Um, there's also, I believe it's the gate of Ishtar that's at one of these museums. And uh, mm-hmm. granted they haven't released an entire like checklist and we have, or we haven't seen an entire checklist of what was vandalized, but the way whoever vandalized this related to QAnon or not went about it is so interesting because it, I mean, spraying an oily substance on, frames of paintings or paintings themselves or antiquities it's i don't know it seems it seems kind of very devoid of the act of vandalism like it's not spray painting a picasso in this case right it's not like taking a knife and slashing through something one of the things that not that this is funny at all but in the uh, article in the New York Times about this vandalism, there's a paragraph that says investigators said they believe that because the vandals could have used a bottle, water gun, or a clown flower to squirt the liquid onto the pieces, <laughs> they'd be able to move through the museum without being detected. And that's, I mean, I I don't think damaging art should be gotten away with as performance. I don't, I you know, I'm not trying to get into that whole weird debate, but... I mean, using a clown flower to squirt liquid onto antiquities to deface them seems like that could be one of the most absurd things that I've ever heard. Yeah, it is. And I and we need to keep in mind that if, if it is people who believe in QAnon, they may have certain beliefs about the liquid that they were spraying on these artifacts. You know, they may think that there's something about 
the liquid itself that would sort of, you know, de-demonize the, uh, the, the artifacts or something like that. They're still trying to figure out what this oily substance is. And I guess that the, the reason that these particular visitors <laughs> didn't uh, target the most well-known things is there were probably too many people standing around the most well-known mm-hmm. objects in the museums and they would have, they would have been seen. Uh, there has been some criticism about the fact that there were no surveillance cameras. Um, again, I find that really surprising and yet sort of not. It's a, you know, when I think about the UK and it's sort of nanny state use of surveillance cameras on every single street corner and on every street and in every shop, every public and private space just has tons and tons and tons of cameras. It's how they solve a hell of a lot of crimes, by the way. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, Germany kind of has an interesting, trusting relationship with its citizenry. And I guess this is a reflection of that. Um, one of the things that bums me out about this, there are lots of things that bum me out about this. Number one is when incidents like this happen, it just leads obviously to more and more security measures. And so, you know, when a shoe bomber goes through an airport for the rest of our lives, we have to take our shoes off at security. And, you know, if they're going to now have to put surveillance cameras in every single German museum because of this kind of thing, it's just, you know, this is the kind of this is the kind of thing where we lose our freedom because of some really bad actors. It's also, though, people acting on cue and on conspiracy theories that get really riled up by these you know, local leaders who are espousing this stuff, we don't know where this is ultimately going to lead. We don't know how much worse it's going to get. It's possible that if Trump is not reelected, that this will calm down. It's also equally possible that if Trump is not reelected, it'll just get crazier. And of course I worry about, of course I worry. I'm a worrier. I worry about our museums. I worry about objects in our museums. And I worry about the idea that QAnon uh, followers would decide to target art as some sort of part of the culture. The culture itself seems to sometimes be under fire by, um, Mm -hmm. by, by some of these people. Also, just to give everyone a little context, we don't have and we are not going to take the effort to and it is not our job right now to uh, recap what QAnon is. So if you have no idea what we've been talking about or how any of this fits in together or how the theory goes up against the worldview, goes up against the art, we have a recommendation. There's a wonderful podcast run by Gimlet Media called Reply All, and they have two episodes, and that's where I actually first found out about this conspiracy theory. Episode number 122, which was all the way back in summer of 2018, talks about this, Uh, and then also episode number 166, which was recently recently released talks about this conspiracy theory too. So if you need a little kind of a way to ground yourself in what any of Christina's and my conversation has meant in the past 10 minutes, go to them. That's reply all. Right. And if you want to know what kind of incidences have, have taken place uh, due to QAnon people getting very fired up, there's a list of them uh, on QAnon's Wikipedia page. They're about do- they're about a dozen so far. Ranging in, you know, severity from very mild to, um, to murder. So, you know, we're just, you know, we'll keep an eye on it and, and hope that this doesn't, um, spill over into the art world too much. We've already done a podcast not too long ago about the intersection, the very weird intersection between the art world and conspiracy theories. And, um, I don't think that we brought up QAnon in that podcast, did we, Brandon? I don't think we did. I don't think there was that much of a connection at this point. This is the really kind of 
first connection that I've seen, other than, you know, kind of symbological connections that have been made by the group and kind of through images. But I think this is the first kind of actual impacting like a, a museum or the art or, you know, it dipping its toe into greater culture. Right, and I, do, I don't think that this is as likely to happen in the United States at major museums because of cameras and guards and et cetera, and because there, we don't have quite the same level of trust. Things do happen. Bad things happen in museums. You know, every year there's somebody does something to an artwork, and, um, and we get news on it, and generally these people are found or tracked down or arrested or, um, you know, run down out on the sidewalk after it happens, but... Yeah, so if Germany's museums are a little bit more vulnerable, then um, also keep an eye on that. But so we just wanted to, we were, we were just curious about that news and just wanted to chat about it for a minute. Um, with that, yeah, we can go into our second subject, which is about closures. Now, these are two different closures, although in both announcements, Marion Goodman shutting her London space, which Marion Goodman is a major New York City gallery. Uh, she opened in 1977. Her roster of artists is astonishing. I mean, it's definitely one of the most, you know, uh, powerful, influential, interesting, respected galleries in the world. Oh, yeah. So she opened a space in Paris 20, 25 years ago, and she will keep that one open, and she opened uh, in London in 2014. So she's naming two things. One is just the pandemic economy, and um, mm -hmm. and the other thing, interestingly, is Brexit. And I think we definitely need to keep an eye on that. Everyone will be keeping an eye on that. And this has been talked about now for two to three years, is what will happen to London's art world. Mm-hmm as Brexit goes underway and the taxes and imports, uh, th everything's going to get quite complicated. And there is some, you know, indication or gossip or theory that a lot of the art world will be uh, moving to Paris actually and away from London because of this. Now there will always be galleries in London and some will not bother shutting their London space. They'll just keep opening new outposts in new places. Well, in the articles about this closure, it says that most of the gallery's European business has been done in Paris anyway, which... I mean, I guess kind of makes sense because it's on the continent, if anything. You know, things are going to get interesting because a lot of a lot of these new rules affecting the EU, this all starts at the end of this year. Yeah. And it goes into effect over the course of about five years, four or five years. So if this is a bellwether incident about a big London closure, then, then that's exactly what it is. And we shall see. Now, in terms of... a the pandemic economy, and we've already spoken about this a little bit on some previous podcasts, we've got art in general closing, and they are very specific that that is what is creating this this sad situation. And mm -hmm. they have been open since the 1980s, and they were known for these new commissions that you were mentioning at the top of the podcast, almost a kind of like creative time sort mm -hmm. of uh, nonprofit as it functioned. And it is very sad to see it go. They promoted opportunities for, I mean... They were committed to presenting new works by artists of color and women and immigrants and visiting artists uh, to the United States. And the loss of this nonprofit, this storied nonprofit, is a big one. Well, and this kind of harks back, Christina, it harks back, like you said, to the conversation that you and I had earlier on Art Dirt, not too long ago at this point, about the possible future of galleries and closures. But 
it also speaks to how this stuff can kind of just happen under our nose and people can be in trouble without us knowing and then just slowly slip away. Obviously, art in general didn't quietly slip away. Like, it caught at least our radar and places like Artnet and Art News and, uh, you know, people have covered it um, and we're covering it too. But, like, one of the things that I didn't know is that back in August, uh, so a couple months ago, Art in General moved to Jersey City, presumably because it was trying to kind of weather the storm and it was sharing a space with Mana Contemporary. So it's one of those things where there'll be like little slips that just happen until something just kind of fades away. And you don't notice those little slips because they're not big enough to be news because you're not visiting spaces anymore because we physically can't visit spaces anymore for a number of reasons. And then, then eventually a closure happens and everyone looks around and it's like, when did, when did that become a reality? And also uh, to, to, on that note, you know, I think a lot of galleries, (laughs) because there's a, a model that they can enter into if they close their brick and mortar space, which is basically becoming a sort of project oriented commissioner of installations that can happen wherever, wherever is convenient. You'll have galleries that may not ever announce that they are closing, like actually shutting down all operation. What they'll do is they will close their brick and mortar space, but continue on in some sort of other form and whether or not they'll, you know, send us press releases about this or not is kind of up in the air because a gallery doesn't necessarily want to be seen as closing. Well, and that's what's happening with Marion Goodman projects. Her, she's closing the space in London, but there's going to be a new London initiative, which is called Marion Goodman projects. And it's going to be quote, a more flexible exhibition strategy in the city that'll focus on like, special projects like here's here's how they describe it it will quote respond to the nature of the artist's practice and reflect the scale and intent of artworks on view so basically it's a roving pop-up exhibition model that may be installations maybe pop-up shows i kind of think i mean <laughs> i would put money on it's the kind of thing where they have a new suite of sculptures by an artist that sold well in the city and they rent out a storefront for a month and have half of the sculptures sold before the show happens and then they sell their last half as the show happens like that that's my idea of what that project is you're right and, it, and what kind of surprises me it, it surprises me and doesn't surprise me is that Art in general, it seems like could have very naturally transitioned into this model, mm-hmm. but it kind of gives you a sense of just how much nonprofits are going to be struggling in this economy. Whereas Marian Goodman has, I were assuming she's got quite a bit of money. She's a giant blue chip gallery. So she has a way of making this transition without, and she's just, you know, they're always looking at their bottom line, right? So if she's deciding that the London space just isn't going to be particularly profitable, she's got other ways that she can go about doing business there. Yeah. Art in general, um, you know, just isn't so lucky to have that, that, those deep, deep, deep pockets. And that's a sad story. And if you follow Tim Schneider at Artnet News, our favorite art market uh, reporter, and he is fantastic, mm-hmm. he reported very recently giving us a better idea of what the situation is in New York spaces with landlords and, and empty uh, buildings and why I'm putting, I'm not, I'm being clumsy in talking about this. He's talking about the tax code and why it's going to be so difficult 
for landlords of these buildings, if they start to clear out and these landlords need arts, new art spaces to move in, why it will be so difficult for them to rent below market rate to a new gallery or an emerging gallery or a gallery that just needs a break. Because the way the tax code is written in Manhattan in New York is such that they really can't do that without just getting a horrible, horrible tax bill. Mm -hmm. So unless the tax code is rewritten in New York City, what we might see is also following Tim Schneider's reporting from this summer is we might see a lot of galleries shutting and then no new galleries coming in to fill those spaces up. Yeah, empty storefronts. Yeah. The practical example, Christina, of what you're saying, which is described in this article, is that if a uh, storefront rents for $20,000 a month, let's say, the landlord, if they have it empty because of the recession, because people aren't renting property, they could claim that $20,000 a month as a loss on their tax bill. Instead, if they wanted to rent it out for $10,000 a month and let someone, you know, give it below market rate, they would get that income, they would be taxed on that money, and then they wouldn't be able to claim any of the loss. So it's actually more profitable for them to have that storefront sit empty than it is to rent it out for under what that market rate is. And that, I mean, that leads to empty storefronts, especially in a place like New York City, if there are galleries or even other commercial spaces that aren't going to be active right now and are actively kind of breaking their leases. Yeah. I mean, this, the implications for this go far beyond, you know, the art market. I mean, this is, this is every kind of commercial space in New York city. So we're going to see some interesting things happening in New York and we're going to see some, I think some real struggle of various commercial industries going forward. I don't know what this means in terms of the continued or possible decentralization of the art world from out of New York and into other American markets. I don't know if there's going to be continued decentralization in London due to Brexit, but these are things that we're keeping an eye on. Um, and of course, being here in Houston, which we feel like has been a pretty, you know, it's a pretty robust branch of the art world. The, those tax codes don't apply here, and we, you know, we're hoping that even in a really tough economy, even like a depression era level economy, that the shakeup in the real estate market could. It's going to be tough for some galleries, but it could also create some really interesting opportunities here Mm -hmm. in Texas, in Houston and in other cities. So, you know, we're hoping that with some ingenuity and some resourcefulness that galleries and artists can continue to thrive um, in a down market and take advantage of the fact that real estate is going to get real kooky for a little while. Yeah. So that is our, uh, that's our, that's our optimistic takeaway. That's the end note to uh, say, maybe, (laughs) maybe there's going to be some opportunity here. Maybe it's not all bad news, but of course we're worried. Of course we're worried about our favorite calories. Of course we're worried about artists being pushed out of uh, city centers but, you know, usually with these vacuums comes new movements and new trends and new uh, whole new things start to happen. And uh, this could be it's going to be a rough time, but it could be an exciting time um, not to be a broken record. But it could be similar to, you know, what New York City was in the 1970s, even here in Houston. One can always hope. Um, but that's our art dirt this week. Yeah. As that happens, we'll keep tracking it for you like we always do. Yeah, and keep an eye on your favorite galleries possibly just changing tack. You know, they they might close their space, but they might continue on in some other form. And I think we're going to see a lot, a lot of kind of creative solutions to 
the problems that we see coming down the pike. And um, we'll just keep our fingers crossed and hope for the best. And with that, thanks for listening. And if you feel like it, mask up and go see some art. Oh, yeah, do it. Mask up and uh, keep your social distance and go see some art. <laughs>